sagt mir, wo die Blumen sind. Wo sind sie geblieben? Sagt mir, wo die Blumen sind. Was ist geschehen? Sagt mir, wo die Blumen sind. Mädchen flüchten sie geschwind. Wann wird man je verstehen? Wann wird man je verstehen? Sagt mir, wo die Mädchen sind. Wo sind sie geblieben? Sagt mir, wo die Mädchen sind. Was ist geschehen? Sagt mir, wo die Mädchen sind. Yeah, it's Labor and Love Radio coming at you from Mutiny Radio 
2781 21st Street. And yes, Christmas is upon us. Here's the Christmas song to end all Christmas songs. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me. Been an awful good girl, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa baby, a 54 convertible to light blue. I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Think of all the fun I've missed. Think of all the fellas that I haven't kissed Next year I could be just as good If you check off my Christmas list Santa baby, I want a yacht And really that's not a lot Been an angel all year, Santa baby so hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa honey, one little thing, I really need the deed. To a platinum mine, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Santa cutie and fill my stocking with a duplex and checks. Sign your X on the line, Santa cutie, and hurry down the chimney tonight. Come and trim my Christmas tree with some decorations bought at Tiffany. I really do believe in you. Let's see if you believe in me. Santa baby forgot to mention one little thing, a ring. I don't mean on the phone, Santa baby, so hurry down the chimney tonight. Hurry down the chimney tonight. Hurry. Tonight. Good morning, everyone. This is Labor and Love Radio on Mutiny Radio from our headquarters here down at uh, 2781 21st Street, corner of Florida. Mutiny Radio, a true community arts center. 
video, radio, comedy, drama, art installations, beautiful set of uh, motorcycles up here, um, hand-drawn, you know, several, maybe 20 of them. Come on down and take a look. Come on down and find your voice. Come on down and be part of Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio, by the way, is a sponsor of the fifth annual underground comedy <clears throat> festival through the uh, good offices and hard work of our station manager Pam Benjamin mutiny has become the center of the underground comic underground comedy scene here in San Francisco but it's not just local. I mean, people are coming from all over the country to attend this festival, March 1st to the 5th. For more information, call Mutiny. Look it up on mutinyradio.fm. Um, buy your tickets in advance. Anyway, read all the details there. This is The B, and I'm on Labor and Love Radio, the show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you don't have a voice in negotiating some of the conditions of your employment, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. Okay. Our opening. Let's, let's deal with that first. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is on Jezebel. A supposedly feminist website, they say. <laughs> Sister Rosetta Tharp. This year's inductees to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame have been announced, and they've finally gotten around to adding Sister Rosetta Tharp, who's got a pretty good claim to having invented that. She got her credit the same year, as Dire Straits and Bon Jovi. Here's what one critic said about Tharp. Although Tharp's distinctive voice and unconventional style attracted fans, it was still mid-30s. Female guitarists were rare, and even more so was a musician who pursued both religious and secular themes, the fact that alarmed the gospel community. But Tharp, young and innovative, was determined to keep experimenting with her sound. Her persistence and grit paid off, and by 1938, she had joined the Cotton Club Review, a New York City club that became especially notable during the Prohibition era. She was only 23 at the time, a feat that was only amplified when she scored her first single, Rock Me, gospel rock and roll fusion, along with other gospel songs. 
Harp's first hit, in fact, was the Transform spiritual Rock Me, recorded with her soaring held notes and sexy growls back in 1938. On the latter-day king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley was still a toddler. Tharp would later hire Grand Old Opry stars the Jordanaires to back her, years before they began working for Presley, who was her unabashed fan. Elvis' loved sister Rosetta recalled the Jordanaires' Gordon Stoker, especially her incredible guitar style. That's what really attracted Elvis, her picking. He liked her singing, but he liked her picking first because it was so different. Oh, by the way, another inducted star this year, finally, <laughs> Nina Simone. Yes, Nina, after, what, 20, 30, 40 years after you're gone? You're inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Congratulations. Um, yeah, Sister Rosetta Tharp with this train. After that, we had Sakme Vodi Blumenzin, the German version of Where Have All the Flowers Gone by Joan Baez, because the real bottom line of all Christmas wishes for the weary multitudes, the weary populations of working people who have to fight the wars, is that there will be no war, that peace will come and transform us for good. And finally, as I said, the Christmas song to end all Christmas songs, because it unites the two strains that are uh, mutually <clears throat> contradictory, capitalism and Christmas, sung beautifully by Eartha Kitt. Okay, well, let's see what we've got for you today on Labor and Love Radio. Why do the Dutch do blackface for Christmas? The monster hiding Amer under America's bed. Radio Labor. Labor Notes. Union Democracy for the UAW. Workers Strike Back. Labor history in two minutes. Greyhound workers early in 1983. Thousands of workers in General Motors get their walking papers. The man who founded American Manufacturing in the Santa Maria School Massacre in Chile. The year is 1907. Okay, and I also want to play, well, I want to take a look at uh, Eartha Kitt and uh, some other Christmas songs that I've collected. Uh, but let's talk about this, the contradiction between Christmas 
and capitalism. The two are mutually opposed, diametrically opposed. Talk about that a little later. Right now, let's listen to our radio labor report. This is a Radio Labor World Report, recorded on Friday, December 20th, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, Labor calls the United Nations COP25 climate conference a disaster. Global unions tell the Philippine government to stop killing unionists. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. Labor activists are disappointed that more was not accomplished at the UN Climate Change Conference held in Madrid December 2nd to 15th, 2019. The conference, called COP25, was called to review the Paris Agreement on Climate Change and other initiatives. To find out what happened at the conference, I talked to Samantha Smith. Ms. Smith is the director of the labor movement's Just Transition Center. I asked her about her expectations going into the conference. We went to the COP in Madrid expecting that governments were going to respond in a meaningful way to the climate crisis. Because we really are in a crisis, right? We have one heat an extreme weather event record after another being broken. There is an urgent need to transform economies and societies to get a just transition for workers. So we were expecting the governments were gonna rise to that challenge and specifically that they were gonna make commitments about how they were going to get a just transition on a national level and bring down emissions, do meaningful stuff about adaptation, and for rich countries to provide finance to developing countries. We also were hoping that there was going to be progress on things like a loss and damage mechanism, which is a mechanism that would help poor countries manage the impacts of climate change or compensate them for impacts to which they can't adapt. Were your expectations met? Well, I mean, I have a particular perspective on this because most of the work we do at the Just Transition Center is actually closer to the ground with federations and with unions, with workers getting concrete plans for just transition. So if personally, if I'm thinking about whether or not there's progress on that front, there absolutely is, right? Like the government of Germany has agreed a very good plan negotiated with German labor to transform the German power sector, including uh, increasing the share of renewable energy and energy efficiency, and also phasing out coal. And that plan involves no worker being left behind. So pathway for every worker, either to an equivalently good job or to, or to pension. And also in Spain, it looks like we're finally going to get delivery of the agreement similar agreement that the, the Spanish government negotiated with the unions about phasing out coal, coal mining. And there were other, other, uh, other countries, cities, and states that uh, were also reporting progress on just transition plans at the climate negotiations. So if you look at that level, then stuff is happening and it's pretty good. 
if you're looking at the at the UN negotiation level, it was a disaster. I mean, amongst other things, UN security ejected, locked out, debadged more than 200 people, including some of the leaders of our own trade union movement. There were some really bad discussions about emissions trading and how governments might be able to use that in order to avoid cutting emissions at home. There was really not a lot of progress on finance, and governments are very shy about talking about what they would do to make more progress in cutting CO2 emissions. Hands of trade unions! Hands up! Hands of teachers! Hands up! Hands of journalists! Hands up! Hands of trade unions! Hands up! Viva Human Rights! Viva! Viva! Viva Solidarity! Viva! Viva! The government of the Philippines has been told to stop killing and harassing trade unionists. Representatives of a number of global unions met the ambassador of the Philippines in Geneva recently to call for respect for labor rights in the country. One of the labor leaders at the meeting was Rosa Pavanelli, the General Secretary of Public Services International. She told the ambassador that she was particularly concerned about the government labeling unionists as terrorists. Labeling some of those people as terrorists can be used as a way to, to bypass the law from employers sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, violating fundamental uh, workers', uh, workers rights. I personally have the situation of some of our affiliates that are in the public services, with the donors organization, sponsors organization that are supporting project for ratification of Convention 151. They were asked to present a list of the leaders and they are afraid to give the name. They are afraid to give the name because they fear to become a target. So the situation is very delicate and sensitive and uh, we really urge the government to take a serious measure in order to prosecute the responsible, to investigate and prosecute the responsible of the killing, uh, because this is the only way to re-establish the rule of law. The labor leaders left the meeting with the ambassador and met with demonstrators outside the consulate. They were addressed first by Ambit Yusin, the general secretary of the Building and Woodworkers International Global Union, BWI. We presented our uh, letter calling them to, to stop the killing and asking the ambassador to communicate to the government to accept the high-level mission of the ILO next year, and we asked them to investigate the killings. Walter Sanchez, the General Secretary of Industrial Global Union, also addressed the demonstrators. Really urged the ambassador to convey the message to the, to the government of the Philippines to accept the high-level mission recommended by the ILO so that uh, human rights are put on the center. Another labor activist who addressed the demonstrators outside the Philippines consulate was Teresa Casertano from Uni Global Union. One of the activists whose home we visited was dragged from her home in front of her children by un 
ununiformed state operatives and taken to jail and held for days um, until she was released on bail, but her charges have not been dropped. She was one of the 57 individuals who were rounded up in October. And we don't find this acceptable. We find this chilling for all workers who are trying to exercise their rights as part of legitimate trade union organizations and legitimate parts of global labor and human rights. The demonstrators were also addressed by James Ritchie, the Assistant General Secretary of the Global Union IUF. People disappear, people get arrested on a regular basis. This is totally unacceptable. And we, uh, with other global unions and the ITUC, joined together to send a very clear message to the Philippines club government that this is totally unacceptable. We will keep protesting. We will keep supporting our sisters and brothers in the Philippines, and we will keep highlighting human rights abuses. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about workers and their unions from around the world in 31 languages. Here's a small sample of those stories. Our top stories section included links to coverage of why the Italian government has concluded that Egypt organized a cover-up of the torture and murder of an Italian scholar studying the country's independent labor movement, the introduction of legislation allowing for independent trade unions in Vietnam, and how Coca-Cola is inciting violence against union activists in the Philippines. We also had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. We carried stories about wage strikes by Korean car assembly workers, garment workers in Myanmar, British public transport workers, Canadian oil refinery staff, banana plantation workers in Panama, and Spanish museum staff. Strikes against rollbacks were being mounted by millions of French workers as their general strike against pension reduction continues. Canadian forestry workers who have massive public support six months into their walkout against concessions and Chilean radio station employees. Walkouts caused by ongoing government austerity policies included one in Spain where staff struck for a day as a warning to the state-owned rail system, Mexican water treatment workers, and a one-day walkout by Brazilian teachers. A solidarity strike was organized by Portuguese postal workers in sympathy with comrades who are to be laid off in the new year. An attack on basic labor rights provoked a response in Nigeria where postal workers were facing down a government committed to contracting out their work. Our Working Women pages included stories about the legacy of apartheid that domestic workers are struggling against in South Africa, a new film about the women leading Bangladeshi garment unions, and the fight for union recognition organized by Macedonian sex workers. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the alarming rise in violent attacks on ambulance workers in the UK, Canada, the United States, South Africa, Australia, and Brazil, a Canadian film festival with the theme of safety for sex workers, and dozens of stories about how the extraordinarily hot weather and smoke from wildfires is affecting Australian workers. Currently, Labour Start is running three online actions. 
Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackletter from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Australia's Victorian trade union choir with You Knew, Grandpa, You Knew. International labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts on our website at www.radiolabor.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Labor. I'm Mark Belanger. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Okay, you knew, Grandpa, they're saying. You knew, Grandpa, you knew. Tell me, what did you do? That's the situation we're all in. We look around. Are we complicit in the exploitation of the earth and the human spirit? Are we complicit? Which side are you on? Listen to a little Christmas music now.
Merry Christmas, baby. You should you treat me nice. Merry Christmas, baby. Should you treat me nice? Gave me a diamond ring for Christmas. Now I'm living in paradise. Well, I'm feeling mighty fine. Got good music on my radio. Well, I'm feeling mighty fine. Got good music on my radio. Well, I wanna kiss you, baby. While you're standing beneath the mistletoe chimney about a half past three left all these pretty presents that you see before me Merry Christmas pretty baby you sure been good to me well I haven't had a drink this morning but I'm all lit up like a Christmas tree Ooh. There it is One, two, three, four, one Christmas time to come in. 
Okay, that, that set was pretty varied, huh? Mac Wiseman, um, pretty prominent gospel and uh, and a hillbilly artist. Christmas times are coming. Before that, Charles Brown with his Christmas classic, covered by many people. Merry Christmas, baby, you sure do treat me right. For that, Joan Jett with her rock version of The Little Drummer Boy. And finally, we had You Knew, Grandpa, You Knew, and What Did You Do? I want to put in some words about Eartha Kitt. Um, we played her version earlier of the Christmas novelty song. Um, Santa Baby. She also made a hit with Ceci Bon, a French popular song. Kit was born on a cotton plantation in South Carolina, the very heart of the Confederacy. And I don't mean the Confederacy of 1860. I mean the Confederacy of 2019. Um, her mother was of Cherokee and African descent, though she had little knowledge of her father. It was reported that he was a son of the owner of the farm where she had been born, and that Kit was conceived by rape. In a 2013 biography, British journalist John Williams claimed that Kit's father was a white man, a local doctor named Daniel Sturkey. Kit's daughter, Kim Shapiro, has questioned the accuracy of that claim. Eartha's mother, Annie Mae Keith, went to live with a black man who refused to accept Eartha because of her relatively pale complexion. So a lot of people assume, oh yeah, well, light-skinned people have it over dark-skinned people because of prejudice. 
Here it worked the other way. It's still prejudice. Worked the other way. She was raised by a relative named Aunt Rosa, in whose household she was abused. She went to live with another relative named Mamie Kitt in Harlem, New York City, where she attended the Metropolitan Vocational High School. Um, began singing in the 40s. Um, I want to get that Sissy Bone one to... Uh... Anyway, Eartha Kitt. Uh, what I want to emphasize is her activism. Okay, Eartha Kitt was active in numerous causes in the 1960s. She established a Kittville Youth Foundation, various, various uh, charitable organizations. And uh, she was also a member of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom her criticism of the Vietnam War and as connection to poverty and racial unrest can be seen as part of a larger commitment to peace activism. Like many politically active figures of her time, Kit was under surveillance by the CIA beginning in 1958. <sighs> Looking for the part about. Here we go. The White House incident. Now, this is what a lot of people remember about Eartha Kitt. In January 1968, during Lyndon B. Johnson's administration, Kitt encountered a substantial professional setback after she made anti war statements during a White House luncheon. <clears throat> Kitt was asked by First Lady. First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson, about the Vietnam War. She said, you've sent the best of this country off to be shot and maimed. No wonder the kids rebel and take pot. During a question and answer, she said, the children of America are not rebelling for no reason. They're not hippies for no reason at all. They're rebelling against something. There are so many things burning the people of these country, this country, particularly mothers. They feel they're going to raise sons, and I know what it's like, and you have children of your own, Mrs. Johnson. We raise children, and we send them to war. The curse of the working class. Her remarks caused Mrs. Johnson to burst into tears and led to a derailment in Kit's career. Following that incident, Kit found herself unemployable, so she devoted her energies to performances in Europe and Asia. It is said that Kit's career in the United States was ended following those comments, after which she was branded a sadistic nymphomaniac by the CIA. I wonder how they knew that. Her government-led blacklisting was enshrined in a false and defamatory dossier about Kit discovered by Seymour Hersh in 1975. 
dossier contained comments about Eartha Kitt's sex life and family history, along with negative opinions of her that were held by former colleagues. Kitt's response to the dossier was to say, I don't understand what it's about. I think it's disgusting. Well, here, here. MTV Decoded answers our burning question. Why do Dutch do blackface for Christmas? Let's listen up. Francesca Ramsey. But in the Netherlands, they just call it Christmas. Most of us would call it blackface, but in the Netherlands, they just call it Christmas. When Christmas comes around, you can usually expect to see Santa, his reindeer, and helpful elves everywhere. But Dutch Santa doesn't have elves. He has Black Pete, or Zwarte Piet. Piet first showed up in the 1850 Dutch book, St. Nicholas and His Servant. Now, considering this story was written before slavery was abolished in the Dutch colonies, some might say Piet was a slave not a servant. The story claims Black Pete is black because of the chimney soot, but that doesn't explain his afro-textured hair or large bright red lips, all familiar staples of racist black characters. To make matters worse, traditional Christmas songs describe Black Pete as clumsy and not very bright, which sounds eerily like the negative stereotypes that have surrounded black people for centuries. Today, Black Pete is still a huge tradition in the Netherlands. Black Pete leaves candies and little presents for children, and Christmas parades in the Netherlands regularly feature tons of people dressed as Black Pete, with Afro wigs, bright red lips, and full blackface. It's 2015! Why in the world does this tradition still exist? Well, lots of people argue that Black Pete is harmless because he's part of a children's story, while others argue that he's not really black, he's just covered in soot, despite the obvious black stereotypes. But in reality, this tradition isn't harmless. Just ask the black families living in the Netherlands. Many have grown up being teased and called Black Pete, especially leading up to the Christmas holidays. There's also numerous protests every year by members of the Black Dutch community, demanding that Black Pete be retired. Honestly, if the Dutch are desperate to keep Black Pete, they could always lose the black face, the curly wig, and the red lips, and just go for a little soot on the face. I mean, I don't see how that could be so bad. So what do you think? Have you heard of Black Pete, and do you think this tradition needs to go? Let us know in the comments below, and we'll see you in the new year right here on Decoded. People have been arguing about Jesus' appearance basically since the beginning of time. The Bible doesn't ever mention Jesus' race, which makes sense. Christianity had to be universal for it to spread, so there was no point in confining him to one race or another. And uh, Black Pete. You heard of Black Pete? I hadn't. <clears throat> Sounds like one of the uh, many, many vestiges of the racist European past, the nations of the world that traded in human souls on a massive worldwide never-be-seen-before 
level. It became uh, a business. It became a... Uh, Frederick Lewis Turner thing where you did jammed as many people into the ship as anyway here it is the monsters uh, the monster hiding under America's bed now in the late latest democratic uh, arguments conferences interviews this is the thing that keeps coming up a monster hiding under America's bed at the drop of a hat. Mr. Trump, who had a bad week, by the way, and his colleagues will call any kind of progressive initiative radical socialism. And the people in the Democratic Party, party they call radical socialists. Ojalá. <laughs> Spanish. For I wish it was true. Here's Francesca talking about our socialism. chupacabra, our Candyman. Say it three times into a mirror, and your kid goes to college for free. Americans are so used to demonizing socialism that most don't really know what it is, or they're shy to admit that they're curious about it. Like how most adults are afraid to watch the Twilight series because what if they discover they're totally on Team Edward? But thanks to a 76-year-old self-described democratic socialist and now a whole host of candidates running openly as socialists, maybe it's time to understand it. We're looking at some of the biggest myths told about the S-word. Hit it, Kate! We've all heard socialism described by the right. You wait in lines for hours, you eat what little nutrients are available, and everyone wears the same thing. Why does socialism sound a lot like Disneyland? Socialism is a favorite straw man of the right, used to disparage any candidate that mentions anything that resembles something like generosity, whether it's Barack Obama or Bernie Sanders. And instead of including socialist voices on television to clarify, they actually have segments like this. Uh, I gotta go to the liberal panel. It's gotta be tough for you to look at uh, your candidates and see how boring and stiff they are. They're stiffer than you. Well, they are. <laughs> well, thanks a lot. But they did talk about policy, unlike the Republican debate, and it's not socialism, it's capitalism, it's democratic socialism within a capitalist society. You want to talk about giving stuff away? Yeah. It's giving stuff, what Republicans do is give stuff to the top 1%. Is Social Security socialism? Medicare socialism? Yes. Medicaid socialism? Yes. You want to take all that away? I do. I want to take all of people. it away. See how that works panel. in the campaign. I want to take it all away. I don't want the government taking my money. I can spend it better than they can, and I can't believe I'm yelling at you and again. Oh, my God. Greg Gutfeld just lost an argument to an animatronic gag he scripted to make himself look smarter. That's like getting your ass kicked by a punching bag. Seriously though, there are many different definitions of socialism depending on who you ask. And just because a country has socialist policies doesn't mean it's a socialist country. There are degrees of socialism. So let's just start out with a safe Wikipedia description. Socialism is a range of economic and social systems characterized by social ownership and democratic control of the means of production. That sounds pretty harmless, and yet, of course, that's what a collectively edited, nonprofit, free encyclopedia would say. And look how that turned out. Oh, pretty good. You can think about socialism as democracy for the economy, an economy that takes planning and forethought and doesn't just leave wealth distribution to the invisible hand of the market, which, in case you were wondering, looks like this for the 99% of us.
And yet, instead of having an honest conversation about what a more democratic economy could look like in a country with the worst income inequality since before the Great Depression, we hear this. Listen up, all you Bernie Sanders supporters. We'll say it again. Socialism doesn't work. Socialism keeps failing. This is Socialism 101. We've seen it fail over and over again. It's failing now because of problems inherent to socialism. Myth number one, socialism's been attempted and failed. But has it truly? Critics point to examples of leaders who took a twisted version of Marxism and implemented it to the extreme, like Pol Pot of Cambodia or Stalin's Soviet Union. But those are better examples of totalitarianism than anything else. As Noam Chomsky, linguist and man who lost award for most desirable lefty grandpa to a younger, hotter Jew put it, the Soviet Union wasn't actually socialist. He says Russia called itself that to trick those sympathetic to socialism, and the US did the same to make people more afraid of socialism. The core notion of at least traditional socialism is that uh, what you mentioned, that working people have to be in control of production. The Soviet Union is the exact opposite of that. Uh, working people had no control over anything. They were uh, virtual slaves. Also, why judge an ideology on its most extreme examples? That's like judging a love of baseball by the Red Sox fan who carved red socks into his forehead with a broken Miller light. Loving baseball is the least of his problems. Funny enough though, even baseball isn't safe from the myth that socialism has failed. Listen to this announcer calling a Dodgers game suddenly go off on socialism when a Venezuelan player steps up to bat. Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden there's no food to eat. Anyway, 0-2. Oh my God, I truly hope that somewhere out there, there is a Spanish language announcer mentioning the failures of capitalism when calling an American soccer game. Bueno, son malos porque no hay dinero en el fútbol. No es como el fútbol americano donde hay muchos momentos para publicidades. El capitalismo vence al deporte. Piénsenlo, cero a dos. Yes, Venezuela is going through an insane political crisis right now, but it's not clear that that crisis has anything to do with their socialist policies. And since that would take another 10 minutes to break down, instead, we threw a couple of links to articles below for you to read. Yes, read. But what we never hear when discussing Venezuela is how putting their nationalized oil money into social programs led to a dramatic reduction in poverty and an increase in literacy. And how about Cuba? Has socialism failed there? Cuba is not a democracy, for sure, but it also has the highest literacy rate in all of Latin America, not to mention free health care and free higher education. And now they're developing a lung cancer vaccine, and that means they'll be able to safely smoke all the cigars that we can't even import. Instead, we've been left with vaping, which is somehow less cool than cancer. Another myth we hear is that socialism is too expensive. But too expensive for who? In France, the government covers all or pays back at least 70% of healthcare costs, which meant a lot when this couple had twins. Even though the boys were delivered by cesarean section and Nomi spent nine days in a private room, leaving the hospital, they paid 19 euros. 19 euros. Coincidentally, the dollar price of an Uber ride to the ER in the US to avoid going into debt over an ambulance ride. 
Compare that French experience to an American couple who went bankrupt after also having twins who were premature. It was 2.2 million. Oh, we lost everything. We paid every bill we could. We sold everything we could. We sold our car. We sold our furniture. We sold our clothing. We liquidated our 401ks. We got, we, I mean, we sold everything. Jesus. But you might be thinking, well, France spends more money on health care, and you would be wrong. Uh, France spends 11% of its GDP, and the U.S. spends 17.2% of our GDP on health care. And France is consistently ranked as having one of the best health care systems in the world, while we clock in last when compared to the 10 most developed countries. But on the bright side, Trump is working hard to make us not a developed country. So what about students? Is socialism too expensive for them? Them? Because in many countries around the world, university tuition is essentially free. In Germany, it's even free for foreigners to benefit from, like Americans. I had heard things like I'd be able to drink, I'd have health care. Each month it cost about 600 euro to live here. My room, train tickets, school, food. My main motivation, of course, was saving money. Was it? Because I'm pretty sure the first thing you said was you'd be able to drink. So I think that's where your money's going to be going. Ah, you can take a boy out of South Carolina, but you can't take a tall boy out of his hand. Germany doesn't see free college as a drain on the economy, but believes that investing in young people's education, even that of non-Germans, will benefit the German economy in the long run. Compare that to how we pay for school in the United States, which is basically an F-U-I-O-U, as student debt just hit $1.5 trillion. Though to be fair, student debt is a job creator for student debt collectors. Germany's example flies in the face of another myth spouted about socialist policies, that they're not good for business. They stifle innovation and competition, and heavy regulations and taxes only make companies move abroad. Work for less! Bangladesh! But take Denmark. The government spends a lot on job training and education, especially for the unemployed. And Danish companies participate in these programs because it means they have a stronger workforce. So when Danes get laid off, they get help learning a new skill that isn't putting together IKEA furniture for strangers. Mostly because they hate the Swedes. In 2015, Denmark was ranked by Forbes as being the best country for business and is consistently ranked as the happiest country on earth, something Fox News blowhards like Bill O'Reilly desperately try to find a way to undermine. When I heard the Danes were the happiest people on earth, I thought back to my ancestors in Ireland who were beheaded and raped by the Danish Vikings. <laughs> and I don't know if that was a happy experience. I yeah, Bill, way to dunk on the libs by bringing up an unrelated grudge you've been carrying with you since the year 800. Later in the same conversation, the intrepid reporters hit on another myth about socialism. The it'll never work in America myth. There are five and a half million Danes. Right. And that's it. We have 300 million people here, Bill. Okay, this myth I really don't understand the logic of. If there are more people paying more taxes into a social welfare state, doesn't that mean more money? What, suddenly Americans don't know how to scale up? We gave the world Starbucks, Walmart, and King Kong. We're all about scaling up. Another myth about socialism is that it requires big government, and that government is not democratic. But look at Norway, a country whose economic model has been called a 21st century version of socialism, and has also been ranked as the world's best democracy. After the global financial crisis of 2008, Norway decided not to tighten its purse strings. Instead, under a socialist finance minister, federal control of financial assets in sectors like oil expanded, and the government directed that money into their sovereign 
Sovereign Wealth Fund, or National Bank, which is part of the reason Norwegians enjoy benefits like universal health care, education, guaranteed parental leave, and oh yeah, no national debt. As far as democracy goes, Norwegians are automatically registered to vote, and 78% did in the last election, compared to our 55% in the last election. Not that the stakes were high. <laughs> Norway has nine parties instead of our two, a parliamentary system of proportional representation instead of our winner-take-all system, and Norwegians have reindeer. Can we have nothing? When all of the myths above fail them, conservatives always resort to a final myth about socialism, which is capitalism is better. Die-hard capitalists insist there is no alternative to their system. Sure, it's claimed as many, if not more, lives than socialism, from colonialism to rampant poverty caused by neoliberal economics to, oh yeah, the millions who died in wars fought to preserve its dominance, capitalism is still better. Just watch how economist Milton Friedman, the Bunsen of free enterprise, defended his ideology in an interview with a barrage of whataboutisms. But it seems to reward not virtue as much as ability to manipulate the system. And what does reward virtue? You think the uh, communist commissar rewards virtue? You know, I think you're taking a lot of things for granted. And just tell me where in the world you find these angels who are going to organize society for us. In Norway, we've been over this. They're with the reindeer. But if that kind of cynicism is what defends unfettered capitalism, maybe we should rethink it. But listen, I am happy to be proven wrong, which is why I'm going to consult my conservative panel. Hey, conservative panel, what do you think about all these socialist myths? What the, what, they're not myths. They're not myths at all. Generosity is evil. If you give people free handouts, they're gonna have to eat rats out of buckets. And don't ask me to link cause and effect. Cause and effect is fake news. Okay, okay, listen, conservative panel, I know you're confused and angry because things aren't always black or white. History is fluid, and your president is going down in a fiery ball of lies. But maybe keep an open mind about socialism. Capitalism is built on greed, which, as it turns out, is not best for either people or or business, or the planet. Maybe capitalism could use some socialism. Americans are innovative and hopeful, so maybe the world has yet to see the best of socialism, and even capitalism. Um, actually, Jesus turned the other cheek to ignore a homeless person. <sighs> Thanks once again for watching News Broke. If you haven't heard, this is our third to last video, which is oh so sad, but guess what? We've got two years, two years of videos every single week. So I don't want to see the tears unless you've seen all the videos. Hey, uh, the two Francescas reporting for us. That latest one was Francesca Fiorentini, a local comedian, actress talking about socialism on her news program, News Broke. Um, taking the argument against socialism one by one and debunking them. And before that, we had Francesca Ramsey, an East Coast comic with her show, MTV Decoded, talking about one of the one of the vestiges of racism and the slave trade in the Netherlands. 
where people put on blackface to take the part of a guy named Peter. It's sort of a flake. How about history in, let's see, so what I want to talk about is <clears throat> in our editorial this week is the two opposing uh, impulses of this time of year, the Christmas impulse and capitalism, which, you know, everything is cast in, and how opposed they are and how we struggle Writers, storytellers, movie makers struggle to bridge that huge gap between them. After all, uh, Christianity and the Christmas spirit is about generosity, about giving. It's better to give than to receive. It's about peace on earth, goodwill towards everyone. It's about a little baby who was born and not in a high-rise hospital, but who was, or a palace, who was born in a stable. And uh, as if to underline, you know, the uh, his humble beginnings, as opposed to capitalism. Capitalism is about Greed. Capitalism rewards greed. Capitalism wants to know how much money you have and can you afford it. Mary and Joseph couldn't afford, they, they couldn't find a place to stay. So what happened? Were they turned out because they didn't have enough money? No, some guy said, okay, you can have your baby in the stable and we've made up a whole mythology about all that but the underlying spirit is that Jesus was one of the wretched of the earth he was born to a carpenter and his wife in a barn whereas Milton Friedman and others are, are cynical and they try to construct systems that reward greed because they say that by people chasing the buck, that benefits all of us. Ivanka Trump said the other day, she didn't think the American people wanted something for nothing. Can you imagine that? You go and you go to work all day and you pay taxes, which, by the way, her father made increased on working people. And then you want something in return for that? You want the state to provide health coverage? Well, you paid for it, didn't you? State to provide free education? You paid for it. All that money you're putting out in taxes, all that money, every time you go somewhere and buy something, that money, that state tax, what's it going for? Well, it's not going to the people who are paying 
who are paying taxes. Ivanka Trump says that means you want something for nothing. That if we get those things, if we get health care, we get free education, that that's going to break our spirit. That's going to make us worse people. No. The government needs to serve the people. And under socialism, the government is democratically elected. The means of production are democratically for the benefit of all. Democratically run. So what do they do now in movies? Somebody's got to bridge that gap. And of course, the classic Christmas movie is Christmas Carol in which old Scrooge, through a series of uh, visions, dreams, becomes transformed from a a greedy capitalist into a big-hearted, hail-fellow, well-met, generous. He's going to help Tiny Tim. So my question is, what does Scrooge do after this? Okay, they say, okay, there's this transformation. And the transformation is what bridges the gap between capitalism and Christmas. What will Trump do? Will he go out and and forgive all the money that's owed him? Will he stop collecting? Will he give away all his money and hit the road with a Buddha bowl? Certainly not. In the same way, movies like um, Miracle on 34th Street, uh, Christmas Affair, these things, in Christmas Affair, the holiday affair, a little boy, just like in Miracle on 34th Street, it's a little girl, Natalie Wood, I believe, becomes a battleground with a parent who's telling them, the mother who's telling them, don't believe in all this crap. Don't believe in a Prince Charming. Don't believe in Santa Claus. Well, the Prince Charming, maybe not. Don't believe in the good of people. Get yours. And the whole, you know, the person of Santa and good guy Robert Mitchum and these things. So the kid becomes the battleground in trying to balance, to resolve this contradiction. Well, it can't be resolved. The minute the clock strikes 12.01 on the night of Christmas, on the 26th of December, everybody's going to go back to hustling and trying to beat one another and through laws and regulations to extract your wealth that you work for. Your work makes them rich. Okay, who's getting something for nothing but someone like an owner or a board member who doesn't do any work, doesn't do any useful work, but collects money. 
Anyway. The Christmas uh, capitalism contradiction. Well, here's what happened December 21st, Christmas in 1907 in Chile. Labor history. I'm Rick Smith, and minutes. this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1907. At 3.45 that afternoon, the Chilean military opened machine gun fire on a school occupied by striking workers. It's estimated that between one and 3,000 people died that day in what came to be known as the Santa Maria School Massacre. The early 20th century was a time of great wealth disparity in Chile. Dock workers in the northern city of Iquique went on strike. These workers mostly loaded saltpeter into ships for transport. Saltpeter is a key ingredient in gunpowder. Soon, workers from the nearby Saltpeter Flats joined the strike. The saltpeter in Chile was controlled mostly by foreign corporations, predominantly British. It was one of the most lucrative Chilean exports. As part of the work action, the strikers occupied the Santa Maria School in Iquique. Chilean President Pedro Mont ordered the strikers be driven out of the city. 400 armed soldiers encircled the workers. They rained machine gun fire on the strikers. Among the dead were women and children, family members of those on strike. The bodies were buried in a mass grave. The exact number of those killed that day is still unknown. In 2007, multiple memorial ceremonies were held in Chile to remember the tragedy. Juan Manuel Diaz, an officer of the United Federation of Workers, the largest trade union in the country, said the mass killing was a shameful thing that the Chilean government covered up for a very long time. One way that the memory of the massacre was preserved was through song. In 1969, Luis Advis wrote this cantata to tell the story. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1991. That was the day that thousands of workers at the U.S. General Motors factory got some very bad news. The company's CEO, Robert Stample, announced that GM would eliminate 74,000 jobs and close 21 plants. The company was struggling. In 1987, they had launched a new advertising campaign. Dubbed the Heartbeat of America, the campaign hoped to revitalize consumer interest in GM. But the ads were not enough to reverse the company's slide in the marketplace. From 1980 to 1991, General Motors' share of the U.S. auto sales had fallen from 46% to 35%. The joke became that instead of the heartbeat of America, GM was the heartbreak of America. One of the plants to close was the Willow Run factory outside of Detroit. 
This was an iconic U.S. factory. It had been constructed during World War II to build airplane bombers. It was the largest plant in the entire world at the time. One worker in the plant, Rose Will Monroe, became known as Rosie the Riveter. GM purchased the plant in 1953. Seven million Chevrolets rolled off the plant's assembly line. When this plant closed, for many, it signaled the end of an era in U.S. manufacturing. The United Auto Workers Union leadership considered the massive layoffs as GM responding to Wall Street rather than its workers. In an interview with the New York Times, UAW President Owen Bieber declared the proper answer to the insatiable demands of the Ebenezer Scrooge types who run Wall Street is not a snappy yes sir salute. But many GM workers went into that holiday season with an uncertain future on the horizon. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1977. That was the day that eight women in Wilmar, Minnesota, stood up for their rights in the workplace. The women worked at the Wilmar Citizens National Bank. These women were paid considerably less than the male employees. The only female bank officer made $4,000 a year less than the men she supervised. Anger over the pay inequity came to a head when the women were told to train a new male hire. He would be their supervisor despite having less experience. He would also make more money. The women went to the bank president, Leo Persh, to discuss the unequal pay. Persh told the women, we're not all equal, you know. He argued that men needed to be paid more because they paid for dates. For the women, this attitude was the last straw. They filed a complaint with the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission. They also formed a union. The Wilmar Bank Employees Association Local 1 became the first bank employees local in Minnesota. Negotiations with the bank went nowhere. The union decided to strike. Both the National Organization for Women and the United Auto Workers supported the strikers. For two long years, the strike wore on. The women picketed in the freezing Minnesota winters. They even lost friends over their stand. They became known as the Wilmar Eight and even saw their story turned into a made-for-TV movie by NBC. Despite the national attention, the bank refused to budge. The women ended the strike. Only one of the women went back to work for the bank but she was demoted from her previous position and did not stay there long. And while the women did bring national attention to the issue of unequal pay, they paid a steep price for their courage. Today's Labor History in Two brought to you in memory of Carol Hillman, a passionate friend of workers and volunteer of the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. Okay, that's the spirit of uh, capitalism. Shutting down the plant at Christmas time, 70,000 people out of work. Come on, is that what Jesus would do? Is this Christianity? No, of course it's not. Okay. get some Christmas songs from well we got Amy Lou Harris I've got a couple that I want to play of Mexican songs Mexican Christmas songs 
Um, let's see, Emmylou Harris, called Light of the Stable.
Otro año que pasa yo tan lejos, otra navidad sin ver mi gente. Madre, yo te pido humildemente que en el año nuevo me recuerde que en la mesa pongas un lugar para el hijo que no ha de llegar. Y aunque yo no esté para brindar, mi copeta siempre a rebotar. Y al llegar a la medianoche, cuando no se confunden en la gente, mándame un abrazo fuerte y pídele a todos los presentes. Vamos a brindar por el ausente que el año que viene presente, vamos a desear de buena suerte y que Dios nos guarde de la muerte, vamos a brindar por el ausente que el año que viene está presente, vamos a desear de buena suerte y que Dios nos guarde de la muerte. Belén, the road that leads to Bethlehem.
was there when the baby was born.
Some banks, it seems like they're going at the speed of yesteryear, but not here. Low-range jobs. Half of U.S. workers between ages of 18 and 64 are employed in low-wage jobs. Amazing. In some places, New Mexico, North Carolina, six in ten workers are in low-wage work. Jobs that pay median annual wages of $18,000. Imagine trying to live on $18,000. 44% of U.S. workers earn $18,000 per year. Raising your poor is not because of immigrant people. It's because the people you work for don't pay you enough. Okay. This is the Labor and Love Show and it's getting to be uh, time for us to get out of here. Let's say one more story now where the Pope... During the presidential debates, the Pope said that the president is not Christian. On Thursday, we're talking about 2016, the pontiff criticized Trump for the proposal at the heart of his campaign, a pledge to keep people from crossing into the United States illegally by building a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border. And to that now... Trump has, has amped up the program of separating children from their parents. Children now, the most defenseless members of our society. Francis told reporters, I just say this man is not Christian if he said it in this way. A person who thinks only about building walls Whatever they may be, and not building bridges is not Christian, Francis said, according to Associated Press's transformation. Translation. Okay, let's see. So, this is the B signing off. The B signing off, Labor and Love Radio, here at Mutiny Radio. Let's see here. We're looking for Don Shirley. And Don is not coming through. Okay, this is the B, and we're coming at you from Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street. Remember, 
If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, negotiating table that is, where you work, you're probably on the menu. Remember never, but never, let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Remember, it's your work that makes them rich. That's why they want to keep you working and keep your head down. Okay, let's see here. Let's go out with Kaori. This is uh, Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Come on down to Mutiny Radio and find your voice. Stay tuned now for Flat Black Plastic, starring Scott O. Walker. And have a good week and good work. Merry Christmas and happy everything to everybody. We didn't talk about Hanukkah today or Kwanzaa, but we'll do that next week. Those days are more than one. Those holidays are more than one. Hello, Solina. Hello, everybody out there. Good week and good work, everybody. Bye-bye. motorcycle repaired or replaced and assist you with your damaged gear too. We're by your side every step of the way. With the Law Tigers, you never ride alone. If you're injured in a motorcycle accident, call 1-800-LAW-TIGERS or visit us on the web at lawtigers.com. The Law Tigers, California's motorcycle lawyer. Introduce here's Law Firm LLP, 180 Permanent Circle, Suite 300, Sacramento, California, 95834.
Streaming live the station. Mutinyradio.fm. District of the Mission. Mutinyradio.fm. Mutinyradio.fm. Listen to live streaming radio. Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm. Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! San Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. We watch the best movies that, uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a Apply now for the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2020 coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. But you can apply now through November 30th. 50 shows in seven days, over 50 comics from all around the U.S., and you could be one of them. Go to the Mutiny Radio website, www.mutinyradio.fm. Click the Apply button. Pay that 20 bucks. Donate to Mutiny Radio and apply with your five-minute video to the Mutiny Radio 5th Annual Comedy Festival coming up March 1st through 7th, 2020. Submissions close November 30th. Get those submissions in now. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even going to be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? 
I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> Hungry for a burger? Mutiny Radio thinks you'll find the best burger in San Francisco at Counter Offer, located inside Bender's Bar and Grill. Counter Offer's menu aims to please your drunk face. Tater tots are served daily. On Tuesday nights, Counter Offer serves specials off the Taco Bell menu, only better. You can enjoy your favorite Taco Bell item without the guilt. Counter Offer uses only fresh ingredients and never store-bought shit. Special ingredients are made from scratch daily, including beans, ketchup, mustard, habanero sauce, and ranch dressing. Counter Offer even serves vegan mac and cheese. All of this great food is served 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and until 11 p.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Counter Offer is located inside Bender's Bar and Grill at 806 South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counter Offer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Don't talk about me when I'm gone. SF Visual and Auditory Mind Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs, and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf. MyShopify.com and experience Subliminal SF. Tired of paying too much for your internet? Contracts and hidden fees got you down? Tired of supporting the same big cable companies that lobby against a free and open internet? Get Monkey Brains! Monkey Brains is a local internet provider who doesn't sell your data, bind you down with contracts, or trick you with hidden monthly fees. 
we're honest, local, and 100% net neutral. Residential internet for only $35 a month. Business packages starting at $75 a month. Go to monkeybrains.net and sign up today. Asiento, take a seat at Asiento on 21st and Bryant. Meet friends for a drink, have delicious tapas and a relaxed community atmosphere. Asiento, honestly, is a wonderful place. They have incredible bartenders, and board games all over the walls, trivia on Mondays, Taco Tuesdays, First Wednesday, live jazz, live DJs Thursday, parties. The food is darn good. Special happy hour prices all night long with your Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival ticket March 1st through 5th. Check out the schedule at www.asientosf.com. Come take a seat. I had a date there and it did not go well. But it wasn't the fault of the place. They're very nice. Asiento. 